Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. My name is Kevin Caffey. I'm one of the elders here at Restoration Church, Brian, and it's my great honor to be here this morning to preach the second sermon of our Advent series as we continue to prepare to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus. Um, This time of year is always so busy, there's so much going on, and we just want to take time every day this month, but especially on these Sundays that we gather together as a church, just to prepare our hearts Um, and really focus on what it is we're supposed to be celebrating at Christmas, and that is Christ. There's, this time of year, lots of things going on. Parties, um, there's family drama, there's shopping, all this stuff happening. And we just want you to be able to sit this morning and sit this week and focus on Jesus and what this season is really about. So I challenge you to, when you leave here, until we meet again next Sunday to spend some dedicated time this week in, in focusing on Jesus and focusing on the celebration of his birth. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this time of year when hearts become generous, when gifts are given and received. And Lord, while all this goes on, We just pray that you please let us stay focused on what Christmas is about, and that is Christ. Lord, let us prepare our hearts for the greatest gift ever given. And Lord, let us in return give this gift of Jesus to others if they've never received him. God, this morning I want to lift up all those people um, that have been affected by these storms and tornadoes. Uh, God, people that have lost loved ones, people that have lost everything. God, we just pray for your comfort and your peace to fall upon them. God, we pray for uh, the people that are responding to this disaster, and God, just uh, help them, Lord, as they try to help others. Uh, We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, Pastor Jonathan preached on the first Advent candle, the prophet's candle, or or the candle of hope. And hope is defined as this, a confident expectation of what God has promised. When Texas A&M faced Alabama earlier this season, a lot of people hoped for something. Some hoped for a win. Some hoped they would just make a game of it. Some hoped they could play four quarters with Alabama. Now, don't get me wrong. A confident expectation for the Aggies is not on the same playing field as a confident expectation for one of God's promises. I'm not saying that. It's two different things. But I don't think many Aggie fans walked into that stadium or turned on their TV with an expectation of nothing more than hopefully a quality loss. I'll confess I didn't. And I'm an Aggie. Me and my wife are are both Aggies, and we're raising raising good Aggie children. Um... (laughs) So most people had some sort of expectation, but our middle child, Slayton, 
had more than just an expectation. He actually, that morning of the game, uh, made the statement that he was certain that the Aggies could beat Alabama. And I was surprised because he follows sports. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so I gave him some encouraging words, and I prayed that his little spirit wouldn't be too crushed that evening. But as I look back, um, he may have been one of the few spectators that walked into Kyle Field that day with more than just an expectation. He carried something else. And what was that? He had faith. And faith is defined as this. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So Slayton called us later that night. It was literally seconds after we watched on TV the football split the uprights for us to win the game. He calls us. The phone rings and he calls us. This is a true story. He called to ask permission to storm Kyle Field. Um, he's our rules follower, and his cousin may have led him to believe that every individual that stepped foot on that field was going to be fined by the SEC. And that A&M had facial recognition cameras and they could ID everybody that walked out there. So he wanted to call to make sure he could do this before we got a bill in the mail for, for him storming the field. Um, but we told him, yes, y'all go, enjoy it. So him and his brother and his cousin jumped the wall and stormed the field. He might have seen some of y'all out there, I don't know. But in that moment, he was excite, as excited as the rest of the people in that stadium, but not nearly as surprised. He was excited, but he wasn't as nearly as surprised as some of the people that were there because he knew it. He knew it walking in the field that the Aggies could win. See, faith is the realization or the fulfillment of hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it beautifully. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith and hope are distinct, but they're related too. They're the same, but at times there's a difference in hoping for something and having faith in something. This second candle of Advent is called Bethlehem's Campbell candle, and it symbolizes faith. In Micah 5, 2, the prophet speaks to Bethlehem, stating that a ruler of Israel would come from there. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We know Israel knew of this prophecy and believed in it. When the Magi, or the wise men, came to King Herod asking where the king of the Jews had been born, he summoned all his scribes and all his priests and asked them, where do the scriptures say the Messiah will be born? And they responded to him with Micah 5 too. They told him he would be born in Bethlehem. So we know Israel had faith in this prophecy. They, they knew it foretold where their Messiah would be born, yet for the most part they missed out on it. They had the opportunity to expect it and await it and then celebrate it when, ha when it happened, but because they had something else in mind, it passed them by. And although Micah's the passage that mentions Bethlehem today, we're going to focus on another passage, the one that Preston just read from Luke. And I think it paints a great picture of this Advent candle of faith. It's the story of Simeon. Simeon, as we're going to see, is a model of faith and a picture of this fulfillment of hope. 
let's look at verses 22 through 24 if you've got your Bible or follow along in your bulletin. Starting in 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So after a baby was born, a woman would be deemed unclean for 40 days. And they would have to go and visit the priests and make a sacrifice to become unclean. I mean, to become clean. Joseph and Mary's trip to the temple was twofold for the purification rites, but also to consecrate Jesus to God, their firstborn male. Which brings me to my first point this morning. People of faith obey the Lord's instructions. People of faith obey the Lord's instruction. Now, there's no doubt Joseph and Mary knew their son was special. They had both been visited by angels before he was born. They knew he was the son of God. So it seems like they could have just skipped this part. They were probably okay. Um, did they, I don't know that they really needed to go through the motions of purification and consecration. They probably would have been fine, but they were people of faith. So they followed God's instructions. They obeyed God's instructions. And as people of faith, we have to obey God's instructions. Simple little acts of obedience have big kingdom impact. I think some people get tripped up on Christianity. They look at it as this list of to-dos or this list of not-to-dos. And that's not true. The way I see it is that obedience flows from faith. When you believe, when you truly believe in your heart, the gospel, when you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you're naturally obedient. And it doesn't feel like a list of rules. See, I didn't change my behavior. I didn't change the way I talked or my bad language before I became a Christian. I, I accepted Jesus in my sin and in my brokenness, and then my heart changed. It was a... It was, it was this picture of, of faith first and then obedience. Baptism is a beautiful picture of this. We had baptisms out here last week, and I love when, when new believers are baptized or even when, when someone who's been a believer for a long time and hadn't been baptized takes that step of obedience. It has a big impact. It has a kingdom effect. It impacts their friends and family that are witnessing this. And it's because of obedience. As people of faith, we have to obey the Lord's instructions. Obeying like this and walking in faith can sometimes require something that I really don't like. And it, uh, it happens to be something that you have to do a lot of this time of year, whether you're shopping or going out to eat or just biding your time, waiting to go to the next family event. It's waiting, and I hate to wait. I hate to stand in lines. I hate to sit in traffic. I hate to wait on things to come in the mail. I just don't like it. But we're told to do it. We're told to be still. We're told to be patient. And I confess, I've got to pray for a supernatural ability to wait sometimes. But Scripture, Scripture is full of people who are required to wait for God's plan to unfold. A lot of times it was people who were 
waiting to have children. Pastor Jonathan spoke last week about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Some say Elizabeth was 88 years old when she gave birth to John the Baptist. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. Others had to wait for different reasons. Joseph was sold into slavery, sat in jail for two years before he was brought before Pharaoh. Caleb and Joshua had to walk around the desert for 40 years with the faithless Israelites before they could enter the the promised land. And there's others, but waiting is just a common theme when people are interacting with God. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Second point this morning is this. People of faith wait on the Lord's plans. We don't know a great deal about Simeon other than what we read here. We know he was waiting. Waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. At some point he got informed that he wouldn't die until he came face to face with the consolation of Israel. One thing we don't know is his age, or when he was informed he would have this appointment with Jesus. So we don't know how long he was waiting. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? We don't know. We only know he's been waiting. We do know he was righteous and devout, so it's obvious he was a man of faith. Now he had been told by the Holy Spirit that he was going to meet the Messiah. So we can assume he had absolute faith in this. He believed it and knew it to be true, but he was required to wait. God's timing is perfect, but a lot of time it's, it's not the timing we would choose. We've got to rest in the fact that he's in control. Simeon knew he was going to meet the Messiah, so he lived with this as an absolute truth in his life. There's an evangelist that myself and Pastor Jonathan both love and adore. His name is Manly Beasley. And he often spoke about faith, and he said this, Faith is holding something in your heart before you hold it in your hand. If if you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, write that down. Faith Faith is holding something in your heart before you hold it in your hand. Simeon knew he was going to meet the Messiah. God told him as much. So he held this truth in his heart while he waited. He woke up every day wondering, is this going to be the day that I'm going to meet the Messiah? He faithfully and obediently went to the temple courts every day, anticipating, knowing this could be the day. As people of faith, we've got to hold God's promises. We've got to hold our prayers, our petitions in our heart before they come to pass. And we might have to wait a little while for God to work out his plans. And I don't mean work out like figure them out. I mean work out like let them unfold. Sometimes we don't know until we get on the other side of it and we can say, ah, that's why it took so long or that's why it's had to to happen like that. His plan is perfect. And if we've got true faith, we can wait and not grow weary. Another quote by Manly Beasley is this. Faith acts as though a thing is so even when it is not so, in order for it to be so. I'll say that again. 
Faith acts as though a thing is so, even when it is not so, in order for it to be so. If we've got faith, we've got to act like that which we're waiting on is already true. Whether it's faith in healing, faith in provision, faith in protection, you name it. We act as if it's a done deal right now. In Slayton's mind, the Aggies had already won. All, all he had to do was sit there and watch how it took place. If we walked in a faith like that, think about how much anxiety, stress, and worry we could avoid. Faith acts as though a thing is so. Faith acts. My third point is this. People of faith act on the Lord's prompting. Verses 27 through 32. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Simeon was moved by the Spirit and he went. These are action verbs. Moved, went. He had to act. How many years had he waited and watched and looked? I mean, do you think he ever wanted to just take a day off and sit at the house and see if the Messiah knocked on his door? He probably did. But he was prompted by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit told him to move, to go, and he did it. He got up and went, and because he did, he literally held in his hands this promise that he had held in his heart for so long. The fulfillment of hope, this picture of faith. He held Jesus. He held God in his hands. Wrap your mind around that for a second. As people of faith, we have to act. We have to move. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about works. This is the same as the obedience thing. When you come to true saving faith and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're naturally going to act or perform the good works that were prepared in advance for you. It's just like obedience. It's an overflow of the Holy Spirit working through you. But how many times because we're in a hurry or because we're selfish or because we think we're busy, do we ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit? We make excuses. I don't have time to go talk to that person today. I'll do it later. I don't have time to go pray with that guy. I'll do it later. And I feel like I should call my mom or call my sister or my aunt. But I'll do it later. As people of faith, we need to act when prompted. See, God's working his plan out through you, whether you see it or not. So when we're prompted, we need to plant that seed or we need to do our part to water that seed, whatever that looks like. Our faith needs to lead to action. Decision-making is action. And our decisions should be based on faith and not what the world says. If we make decisions just like the rest of the world, what's it say about our faith? If we sit frozen and worried, not able to move, not able to make a decision because of worldly metrics or parameters or pros and cons, what does that look like? Making decisions based on, based on faith in Jesus looks different. And a lot of times it won't make sense to the world. 
Probably doesn't look good on paper. I mention this a lot because it's part of our faith journey. My wife Stacy and I both left our jobs seven years ago to start our own businesses. And it was a huge step of faith. Believe me, we were prayed up before we made this decision, but there was still lingering fear. There was still the what if. But right, it's not a decision of faith if, if there's not some fear, right? If it was just easy and sure, you would just do it. Why, why do you have to have faith? I think some people didn't understand what we were doing, but our faith was stronger than any doubts or fears that we had. We held it in our hearts. We knew what God had placed there and we knew it was true. We completely trusted the Lord, so we did it. We left jobs of 14 years and 16 years and stepped out. And we can look back now and see God's hand in every bit of it. Now, I'm not saying quit your job. That's not what I'm saying this morning. And college guys and girls, I'm not saying turn down a job. I'm saying make your decisions based on faith and based on Scripture. Don't make it based on the world and what the world says. After Simeon had held Jesus in his arms, he speaks this song of praise that has awesome application and prophecy in it. Verses 29 and 30 say, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon was good. He was done. He could die a happy man. The hope had been fulfilled just like it was told. And honestly, that's a lot like I was after the Alabama game. I was good. We didn't need to win another game the whole season. I was good with the season being over after that. I was proud of him. Still am. But Simeon was ready to be dismissed. And again, we don't know how old he was. Everybody just assumes he was old because he was ready to die. But he could have been 20. He could have been 40. Here's the deal. He had seen the Lord's Messiah and now death was not to be feared. He had held salvation in his arms. The same is true of anybody who looks upon Jesus with eyes of faith. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus can be ready to depart this world at any time. Not be scared of it. And that's the hope we talked about last week. Hope in an eternity with a loving God who made this possible for us. Our faith should keep us living in light of eternity. In the end of Simeon's song, he prophecies over Jesus. Verses 31 and 32, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, the, for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon may be the first person in the New Testament to prophesy that Jesus would save all the world and not just Israel. He calls Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Philip Ryken says, Simeon's prophecy was about global evangelism. Jesus is God's light to the nations. The whole world is covered with darkness through sin, but Jesus has come to dispel the darkness, to shine the light of salvation into every dark corner of every dim heart. Jesus lights up the dark corners of every dim heart. This means no matter what your situation is, 
no matter how far away you feel from God, you're one step away from salvation. You are one faith act away from being saved and redeemed. And all it takes is believing, believing in Jesus, believing in who we celebrate during the Christmas season. All you got to do is hold this truth in your heart, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was fully God and fully man, that he came to this earth and lived a sinless life, that he shed his blood and died on a cross for your sins. And then three days later, he rose and defeated death. And if you can hold that truth in your heart, you can live the rest of your life with a hope and a faith that lets you say, just like Simeon, Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I'll close with this. <clears throat> Today, we're just like Simeon. We're waiting. Waiting on the consolation of the world. Simeon waited to see Jesus when he first came to us. And now we wait to see Jesus return. It's the second advent. And we don't know when, but we know it will happen. We believe it, we have faith in it, and we hold this truth in our hearts. So as people that walk by faith and not by sight, we have to obey, and we have to wait, and we have to act. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And the gift is Jesus. And Rye can ask some good questions in light of the story of Simeon. Have your eyes seen him? Have you seen him with eyes of faith? Have you seen him crucified for your sin? Have you seen him raised for your salvation? Let's pray.